0: Welcome to the GBU Podcast, presented by Alex
1: Mitchell. A huge welcome to this episode of the GBU Podcast. And as always, a massive shout out to our friends at What If Events and the creative groups. In this episode, we are looking at period poverty in developing nations. We're looking at how you can create a solution around it. The founder that we're speaking to did a lot of research in this area, found there was a massive issue, all off the back of a random conversation, from a 14 year old in a class that she was in. It, she is creating a massive solution to a really, really big problem. How do you create sanitary pads which are affordable while also are available as well? She's looking at microfinancing and creating skill sets for women within local communities as part of the solution as well. If you don't get anything out of this podcast, I will be absolutely st- staggered. At the very least, you're going to go away motivated and inspired so I don't really need to say it but I hope you enjoy it. For this episode I'm joined by Alison who is a great founder running a fantastically interesting business but to tell you more about what she does and who she is, Alison over to you.
0: Hi thanks for that, Uh, I'm Alison and I started lily pads about two and a half years ago out of my academic research. We now do reusable sanitary pads in the UK and Kenya as well as other countries across Africa as well as some menstrual health education.
1: So you mentioned, I mean we came across each other I think through Pitch at the Palace where I was one of the mentors for it and I met you there and saw your picture. I think actually you won, well you won one of the votes anyway, you did remarkably well which is great and deservedly so for the type of area you're working in. you you mentioned the academic research side, what did you find out from that? And obviously a lot of people do research or academia do research but very few then go right, I've done this research, now I'm going to set up something. Was the end game always to set something up or was it literally I'll do research and then suddenly oh Christ, hold on, now look at what I'm doing? I was like
0: oh I'm doing a dissertation and somehow it's a business and I'm not really sure what happened there but we're just going to go for it apparently. So it was I'd always, my school had always bought a charity. I loved them. They did orphan support work in Kenya. I got to university and was like, Oh, can I come out and see you and realised that they really struggled with teaching sexual health along with quite a lot of charities. We there is lots of research around sexual health and there's not so many practical plans on this is what you do when you're in such and such a scenario. And so my research became if you're a charity with a large number of students and you've got very limited resources, how do you effectively teach it? And as a young person, I'd just been through the education system, I had a fair idea of what techniques we sometimes use, what sometimes goes really well, and what can go disastrously in a setting context. And so that literally became my dissertation was if I run 15 lessons and we look at levels of interaction, male versus female, age groups in a classroom. What happens? Do you understand more? There's really interesting effects when you're teaching sexual health. Because students of a certain age want to show that they know what they're talking about. If they don't, you get this great moment in a classroom where you're like, well, that's not correct, but you've said it to show something. And now we've got to unpick this without losing anybody's confidence in the making. And out of that came, I was asking a load of girls in a school that had a real problem with teenage pregnancy, what was happening? And I just wanted them to tell me reasons why girls in their position might choose to have sex. And the idea being that you got all of their answers and then you could look at the risks and start to weigh them up. And one of the girls came straight out at me. She was like 14, I am writing on a chalkboard in the middle of a classroom. And she goes, oh, because we need sanitary products. And this little voice in me went, I've definitely just said something wrong and we've lost what question I asked. And I'm like, can you explain that one? was like, yeah, we all get periods and then we want to stay in school, and school's really important. And you ask the older girls, and they tell you of men in the village. And if you spend the night with these men, they give you products and then you can stay in school.
1: Oh, Christ.
0: Yeah. And I still have no words for what you do. And I was stood there thinking, all of this research, all of this research around teaching sexual health doesn't really work. Because the more dangerous I make this, the more likely you are to drop out of school. And I 100% don't want you anywhere near heart. but to drop out of school, because your period just seems like such a stupid problem to have in this day and age, and one that we should have a solution to. And so my, uh, my research morphed from like, how do we teach this to what do we do when we've got critical problems? What, what advice do you give? And I started looking at what people around the world do and a lot of people fundraise and send out science products to different schools and at that point I'd done research across five schools every school had this problem the charity I was working with knew of it in the vast majority of schools they were working in and they kind of went you're gonna earn a lot of money and you're gonna be able to do it every month because the other thing a lot of the kids would say is are you coming back because they're used to one set of support, and then that person vanishes. And if you support someone for six months, and your funding runs out, and you disappear, their life is still in the same place.
1: And also all the good work you do then sort of unravels as well.
0: Exactly. And then you leave them in just this precarious position. And something about that broke me when I was like, a lot of these girls aren't that much younger. Some of the girls who are helping me do the research are literally my own age and they've had to do so much more to get here and cope with so much more and we've, we don't have the basics to go here's something that works and for them it was like well I can't afford a product and that was the, the thing every time I asked someone to try a product or what they thought or how something worked they got I can't afford it. I was like well then we have to solve that don't we because if we can do everything else it's time we make affordable sandwich products and that became the mission we are two years later half a dozen manufacturing contracts and relationships all around the world and slowly getting towards a slightly more affordable product and the more i did it in kenya the more i asked everyone around me in the uk to trial it and tell me what they thought and the more i realized that sadly periods are not somewhere that's some places have issues and some don't. Around the world, we have critical issues. And I was speaking to women in their forties with high, powerful jobs who I really looked up to on calls. Who blah, like, oh, I'm I'm still terrified to stand up in a business meeting in, t- in case I've leaked. I'm like, what? How, how are you? But, and then thought, well, yeah, of course, that's not going to rub off someday. If you have a product that doesn't work perfectly for you, you're always going to be scared of that. But this is crazy. Like how? And so that became our mission in the UK was can we make a product that means that women don't have to be worried about leaks that they can continue, it doesn't matter if they're bleeding or they're not, they can still keep being them. And that can fund all our work internationally to mean that we can get affordable products out there, that the girls can buy them, that they can access them, and that we can do everything we can to keep the costs as low as possible.
1: But before we come on to the actual product side itself and what that process looked like and the manufacturing side and how you've managed to get the cost down, can we talk a little bit about the cultural side? Because a, yep. a lot of it is, is that sort of the, the you know, the the, the the cultural nuances of talking about periods or engaging with that side or men being hesitant to talk about it or even men being even worse, saying, oh it's just her time of the month, don't worry about it. What, and, and you, you see that in the UK, I've been in environments where I've heard men talk, exactly uh-huh. like that and it's you know it, it takes me back it's sort of it's quite shocking and I think you often need other men to turn around and say yeah stop that that's ridiculous shut uh-huh. up but when you're dealing with like so developing nations or, or le- less developed economies and it isn't just Kenya obviously you know looking at Commonwealth countries world, well, you know 54 countries 46 47 of them are developing nations and that's within our own sort of Commonwealth family grouping of countries how do you deal with the cultural side? So you, you talked about you know go and see the man in the heart, and you know this is culturally driven. It is embedded within the community. It is that that alienation. You're ostracised if you don't. You know how how do you deal with that side coming in and dealing with those sort of cultural issues at that level?
0: Hand over to people who are much more skilled from that place because so many of those things they're not. That's not my nature. I would. I react very differently when I'm sat in Edinburgh and someone says something that I would regard as sexist, I'm more willing to challenge it because we know more about each other. Whereas I'm very conscious that we are in Kenya and they have very different norms and expectations. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we often all have the same grounding. And when you start talking about, and that being your daughter, and are you okay with that? And do you want her in school? And how would you feel if she was making these choices? Pretty much any parent will go, no, I want my child safe and well and healthy. And if I know the risks they're going through, I'm going to make sure that they're okay and we can make them okay. And so it's taking it back to who can I put around me? Who can I trust to say, how, how do we talk about this? How can we help them? How can we make sure that we're not saying, well, this is what I believe and you should believe it too, because I'm pretty sure I'm right on this and hope that I am and go, what, what do you think is best? for you and your parents and your children and your communities, because most of the communities have the answer. Very, very few people have gone, well, we think this is okay. But when you've got mums who are doing it because they turn around and say, because I need to feed my family, then you have to start thinking, okay, what do you want? And I'm not in a position to say feeding your family is less or more important So how do we make sure that you can, how can we work with people to help you feed families in other ways? And if you have to do that, do it safely. Know what the risks are, be aware of them. I mean, that's the bit that terrifies me about a lot of the girls in Kenya is they didn't know the risks. So they'd be Mm -hmm. saying, well, he's not not HIV positive. I'd be like, how do you know? Because he looks healthy. Yeah, because you can. HIV, isn't something where you morph into another person that gets tattooed on your head. But there was this expectation that you must look really well, uh, unwell, and being able to unpick that and say, okay, this is now what the truth looks like. Let's look at other things. Let's get other people to talk. Let's get mums in the community to chat about what choices you can make and what you can do, rather than me giving what I think they could.
1: And I think it's, I mean, you, you you hit on a really interesting area there, it isn't just one, one point, it is mul- multiple points, multiple different stakeholders, multiple groups, cultural nuances, changing behavior, changing learned behavior, understanding why people, like you said, you know, to feed someone, to feed their family, it's very difficult to turn around and try and argue against that because they're trying to put food on their table, on the table for their children, and how dare me as a white guy come along and say to you, oh no, that isn't as important. You know, you've got to be very careful of that. And you know, when i run a charity called Kit Us Out, and our, our focus is you know, very different, but we focus on disability sports in developing nations. And in a lot of developing nations, disability is literally brushed under the carpet. If you've got a person who's disabled, you know, number of incidents we've come across, they're just literally locked in the house. It's, you, do, you, know, you just don't, it, they're, they're hidden, completely hidden rather than being engaged and brought in society. And when we started going to that, I said, well, why is that? And all we want to do is give out kits so people can compete. It was then well, you start looking at the cultural things and you look at the side of it and then you think, well, how do you create success? How do you get people aboard? And then you speak to governments or major agencies who just don't want to even engage in that conversation. But the one thing we found on that area was the, the absolute importance of, as you fully alluded to, of working in partnership with other organizations and those with the right skill sets to deal with that side and to help have the conversation in that side and it's something we've seen kit us out the importance of that partnership and collaboration work but let's get on to onto lily pads you, you've got the vision you've got the mission then what like you, I, I presume you don't have a background in manufacturing sanitary pads nope. or, or any level of manufacturing how, how did that look how do you go right I'm gonna create a supply chain I'm gonna you know do this that and the other what did that look like
0: terrifying it was an interesting moment when i realized there was this thing of like i'm just going to do it and this is going to work and then at some point i kind of got halfway up the tree and was like oh i'm too far to jump down and i'm not entirely sure how i get so we're just going to have to start making up and hope this works and it also went with a lot of being willing to say i don't know and can someone help or ask and so i can say just about which is how we got the first set of pads and then when we need a manufacturer how on earth do you find a manufacturer in kenya i was saying this to someone and they were like well i know somebody makes leather handbags in kenya would that help you like not the same type of manufacturing but yes that is one step closer so i will take that Got on the phone with them and they're like we don't do your kind of manufacturing like no that's fine do you know anyone who does that will be willing to take a risk on this totally mad project. And they're like, well, I can, I can give you to so and so quite a few people went. you want us to do what sanitary products? No, we don't do sanitary products. We don't do female hygiene products we don't do. And I was like, cool, next can somebody else help? And being willing to kind of say that being much more upfront with going, I need this, I don't know this. I do know this can we work and i got more comfortable saying that and found that in some places that made that was great manufacturing help because people would then be like oh cool so i can do this and you're doing it that way and that's really expensive why won't you do it this way i was like oh there wasn't uh i won't there was i didn't know but hmm. fab <laughs> can you do that will you help us but i mean we are still looking for the perfect manufacturer i have no idea no i do but a dozen that we've now worked with in different ways and getting price point down is really hard and i think one of the hardest things for us has been well i know how we can get it down in some ways there are corners we can cut but we're helping a little girl in kenya and i'm not willing to find that i've got a factory full of young children making them hmm. and i was kind of on a call where someone went do you really think that happens and then sat yes at the impact summit Listening to the team from Tony Chocoloni's talking about child labour and the chocolate industry being like, yeah, sadly you have to be really careful. And that adds so much more time and effort than I ever comprehended. And that has opened my eyes so much to walking in a shop and seeing something and thinking, wow, you've got that three pounds. How did you do? How did you do that? Because there are only some costs that you can cut and yet we've got to the point where you get seven steps forward you have a product it works it's been tested and there is some random regulatory thing that now needs to be passed and hey that's eight months of work or you get it so far to realize there's another thing but thankfully having a really good really honest team that are willing to go we've got a problem and will tell me the minute we're aware of it, so we can start looking at solutions and accepting that some days is going to be a problem solving day and a bar of chocolate at the end of the day is going to make it that oh, I can do it tomorrow morning helps. But I mean, I no way could say I'm now a manufacturing guru. I know a lot more. I'm not even sure now what skills, if I had to write myself a checklist for 18 year old me, I would give them, I think it would more be like perseverance. And a bucket load of courage and really hope and ask a lot of people and somewhere you're going to muddle through because it's one of those things that there aren't that many skills. But thankfully a lot of people willing to give some time to help.
1: And with those um individuals, because it's you know, it, it is important of where especially you're in a different country where you're constantly getting knockbacks or pushbacks or other challenges or other issues put in place, and it just seems to go on and on and on and on. And the motivation side, you know, we've sent kit out to different places and we've had all the documents and all the rest of it in place and lo and behold it gets lost at an airport and you know oh well it's you know gone into some sort of someone's back pocket or someone's boot of a car and it's gone onto a market stall in you know Namibia or you know Ghana or um democratic Republic of Congo or somewhere like that and there isn't anything you can do about it it is sometimes you just have these mockbacks and I think that that's sort of the mental fortitude to keep picking yourself up and go right okay now I need to move on to the next one and it's okay we park that and then also being clear over what you're after like you know okay so you don't do that right can you introduce me to someone who does and I think being really willing to be adaptive and be willing to push and be willing to ask is 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 a massive skill and is uh, is often not talked about because we do turn around and we put all our focus on, like right, this is going to be my supply chain. This is how it's going to work. And when it doesn't quite work, it's, you know, you either go, oh, well, that's it. Hands in the air, done. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. And in a lot of instances, you just you just can't do that. You've just got to keep pushing and finding another route. I think it was on a, one of these episodes where I speak to someone and say, whenever they hear no, they hear go. And I think that's a that's a really good mantra to go by, especially in anything in the that- in uh, developing nations and stuff like that is there are significant additional barriers no matter what you're trying to do. So right, you're a couple of years in, you've got, you're starting to get the manufacturing side. Let's talk a little bit about the logistics element as well. You're not dealing about one product that someone needs one of it once a year, you're dealing about a product that someone needs once every month that there are going to be cost implications. You're talking about logistics of towns and villages where there is minimal transportation infrastructure. You know, I've heard often from some of the bodies we've worked in with some of the communities we worked with Kittis Out, some of these organizations that come in do a great job but then like you rightly said they leave and then it's like well you might in some instances you might well have not have come at all in the first case. So how just on the actual the pure logistics side of it is a product that is needed once a month for every girl and every young, and every woman in that village. How are you how are you gonna manage how are you gonna manage that side?
0: I'm gonna slightly deviate your question. I promise I'll come back to the first one, in that we've started with the reusable product. So it'll take us, you need one and you can refresh it in two years, and it should work for those two years. Although having now spent a lot of time in rural communities and asking what works for people, we've realized, we're going to need a disposable one as well, which creates two different logistical routes, the But it was talking to people and going, how do you how do you want this product? Where do you find it to realize the answer was in the very first child that said to me, we asked the older girls, actually, putting them in shops isn't going to help because there's no one to talk about it. And then There's no one to ask, you've still got to do the whole thing of going into the shop and finding the product and coming to the cashier and giving it to them and dealing with this transaction, which can be really embarrassing. And so we're taking the exact opposite model and doing the microfinance route of training up women to sell packs of five packs of pads, go out and sell them in communities, come back, purchase more and keep going that way. So they're building up the community. So they're able to give away the knowledge which also helps in disseminating some of the things we want to talk about and get people talking about, because it's someone you trust then. It's someone's mum or someone's friend and that they make sense. It also, the part that I never even thought about until we started trying to do it, was it made income sense for some of these women who for a lot of the time are subsistence farmers who are growing some kind of vegetable, they're selling it in a market. That's pretty much their day. This was something else they could sell. And what I'm definitely trying to do is get some really good sales training in as well. So that it's like, well, we can give you some more tools and then that's going to help other parts of your life as well. And that gives you a little bit more income in a way that's easier for you because you already know all these women, you're already sharing with them something that makes sense and hopefully get some conversations going so that we can start to talk about the bigger things too. So, yeah, that's the very ground end and the logistics chain works back. We're now going through charities, so we're working with charities who can bulk buy and then work with the women who they've already got the connections with, rather than us setting up all of these hubs. Then they're able to talk, they know these women, they can get different things in and night quite quickly, and then we're just managing the factory, customs, transport, which never fails to put my nerves on end when someone's like oh yeah it's on the minibus and i'm like by which you mean it's on the back of a motorbike and i'm not going to cry that it's a whole load of stock on the back of a motorbike i can't track going halfway across this country and then i'll get a text and I'm like it's here and we've got we've had more stock that get lost in the uk than we have anywhere else (laughs) really Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah the joys of posting things
1: so yeah so I, I, I think your point of, you know, it's is again, something I've seen with my charity, we always, we str- like, you know, you get a pair of trainers that you wanted to get on. So, the pair of trainers cost you 80 quid from Lily White's or wherever. And it would then cost 200 quid to FedEx out to somewhere and nine times out of 10, it would get lost. And we kept going down this route. And it was almost that, from my sense, it was that arrogance of, well, this is what we're trying to do. And this is our vision. And this is our mission. And we're going to do it. And then someone turned around, it was one of our mentors that turned around and said, Well, have you thought about partnerships? Who are in the countries, who are in the regions, who are in the groups that you are dealing with? And it was off the back of that that then we set up a partnership with the International Paralympic Committee and the Foundation. Oh, and we just gosh. literally piggyback off the back of them. So if they're doing a regional competition, we'll go, Right, okay, well, we'll give you, you know, 300 extra items of kit or 500 extra items and kit. We'll pay the excess baggage, take it out there with us take it out there with you and give it out and disseminate because it. it then kind of controls it while keeping the cross relatively low but it was I mean I dread to think how much money we threw at the additional problem of we're going to FedEx it out there and it was just a nightmare it used to get yeah. lost there was no connection there was no engagement you never know even if it got there if it actually got to the individual athletes or if it remains with the coach or if it remained with the chef de mission or whatever else but Right, so Mm -hmm. you've got it now, you're starting to get a model around it, there's some. great hearing about you talking about the microfinance side and there is Professor Mohammed Unis set up Gurin Bank and this is sort of I heard him speak years and years and years ago on the importance of microfinance but more importantly the importance of putting money into the pockets of the women within the family group because there is sadly in a lot of instances you put it into the guy's pocket and it'll be gambled away or it'll go on alcohol and it doesn't go on food and it doesn't go on the child's well-being or the well-being of the family, so it's, it's great hearing that you're, you're not only manufacturing locally but you're going to be providing skill sets and sales and money coming into coming into local communities and into the one within local communities. Now on the UK side of things, have you had, you know, you, you alluded to some of the challenges you faced on the logistics side, have you had the support you would hope you would have got for because it is a great idea what you do, Your vision and mission are absolutely on point. You've got the data, you've got the research. It seems like some, it seems like a no brainer and it seems like something that should be doing. And I saw you doing the pitch at the palace thing and I was watching you there and I was thinking, well, she doesn't need additional support. She's going to have loads of people coming up and offering that. But are you actually getting that? And if you are getting the offers, is it turning into actual real time support? Because again, you know, to quite candid about the journey I've been on with the charity I set up, you get a lot of people talking a great game, you get a lot of people turning around and saying oh it's great what you're doing, it's fantastic, yes we'll support it, we'll support it and when you ask for it, it doesn't quite materialize. Now have you had a similar journey or I'm I'm sure you haven't but uh, are you getting, (laughs) crucially, are you getting that support?
0: Uh, It's one of the questions that breaks me because I'm like there are so many great people and there have been amazing people who put in Hours of their own time to make connections or do things or put their neck on the line. But that is that thing that people find it really easy to say, Oh, help. And you're like, Fab. And then you get stuck and you're like, Oh, oh that was a waste of time. Can we? And trying to get people to do that or bringing people on or in who are like, Well, I see the vision this way. And quite a few times we've had to go, Hang on, are we in the right direction? Is this what we're trying to do? Are we in the right thing? Oh, was this the wrong? The wrong connection to make and do we need to look at another option and so yeah getting the right support from the right people has been really hard and finding people with the same mission and values and willing to part with the same crazy ideas it's been an interesting journey in trying to find exactly what you want and then go can you help and are you willing to try multiple things to make it work? Or do you want the like safe option? In which case? How, how do we do that? Same as people who've given you blue sky thinking, and I've got much better now at saying to people, how would you do that? For everyone is like, Oh, have you thought about a partnership with Coca Cola? So well, if you can give me the person in Coca Cola, I will think about that No, to, no worries. But <laughs> who's got them in their little black book?
1: No, it's, it's exactly. I mean, it's a great. The amount of times I've been told as well, oh, you need to partner with this. And it's okay. Yeah. So, can you introduce me to that person? Because if you can't, I could turn around and just say, yeah, you know I'll I'll get investment from Bill Gates, but I don't know the guy. I don't have his email. I don't have him on WhatsApp. So, you know, it is got to be action orientated. Is something I've got, and it's you know, it is great that people are positive, and it's great that people want to support. But I think sometimes it's got to be, you know, can you realistically? Provide what we need, or provide what you need in relation to where you're going. So on that side, I, I know my mum and my dad watch this podcast, and I hope there are more people who watch it than that. But I know they're 100% 100% bought into it as subscribers. But if there is one or two really clear asks of can people make connections, or what do you need for the next year that would really help on a current challenge you're facing, or a potential challenge you see coming up, what would it be?
0: Did I? Oh, sorry, I got a completely blank screen as you said that and I was like, oh, okay, so I'm not allowed my ask. Well, one of my things is we have been working crazily hard on our UK product and we are putting it out to Kickstarter at the end of June. So any and all publicity likes, shares and smiles around it would be very much appreciated because this is us absolutely testing and going, this is what our international side looks like. but. Also, well, the whole thing looks like. And then our international side, we're always looking for charities, especially ones who work with women and know if these issues, work in communities, have tried things by paths before, maybe haven't, and suddenly listened to this and gone, what are our people using? And if so, always looking for partners. Really at this moment in time, no longer matters where you are, because we seem to be building connections halfway around the world, whether or not I choose the country. So
1: yeah, partners or shares of Kickstarter. Alison, it's amazing what you're doing and it's fantastic to hear the successes you're getting even though I can only imagine just by hearing what you're talking about, the numerous barriers you're constantly facing. But look, keep at it is all I can say. Um, I'm sure anyone listening to this will help in any way they can with meaningful connections, properly sharing the Kickstarter campaign and properly making sensible introductions. But look, keep at it, it's, it's fantastic and you're answering a real problem, it's something you often hear on the news and from dealing with charities and organisations in developing nations quite a lot of the time, it, it is a real problem and it's fantastic to hear that you've come up with a solution and a meaningful solution that isn't just about providing it but providing skills and you're putting money in the pocket of women within local communities as well. So huge, huge well done mate, really, really great to hear what you do and thank you so much for the time.
0: No, it's lovely to talk to. It's
1: quite exciting to hear another person on the the journey. Alison, again, thank you so much and thank you all very much indeed for watching. If you can support Alison, don't sit on your hands, get out there, share the Kickstarter link when it goes live. I'll link through to the website below as well as to Alison on LinkedIn. Meaningful connections with anyone that's running an organisation or initiative like this, time is limited. And any connections you can make directly are absolutely worth its weight in gold. So please do reach out if you can. Again, thank you all for watching. Huge thanks to Alison. And until next time, keep safe and keep well. Thank you for listening to
0: another episode of the GBU podcast presented by Alex Mitchell.